You're listening to Wake Up Call with Christina Previtt. I'm the CEO and co-owner of New Jersey Divorce Solutions, a law firm located in Edison, New Jersey. I've been practicing exclusively divorce and family law for the past 16 years. Everyone has a story. I interview them. Wake Up Call is an opportunity for you to hear inspiring stories from people who are making hard decisions, overcoming their fears, and living their most authentic life. All right, we are here today with Wake Up Call, the podcast. I'm your host, Christina Previtt, and joining me today is Jagisha, also known as Gigi Takor. She is a financial advisor and insurance broker, and she's self-employed. She's the owner of Shanti Now Financial. Welcome, Gigi. Thank you for having me, Christina. Thank you for saying yes. Of course. We were just talking about the name of your company, Shanti. I love that. Can you explain to us again, though, what that is? Yeah, Shanti in Sanskrit means peace. We believe that you should have peace with your money. Yes, and so few of us do, though. <laughs> yes, <it's> usually, <laughs> usually uh, the reason people get divorced, people are unhappy and depressed, unfortunately. So we're trying causes, to heal that. Causes a lot of stress, too. That's right. That's right. <laughs> so I want to get into your personal background and ask you a lot of nosy questions. Um, but before I do that, it just seems like a natural place to talk a little bit about your business and what you really do. What does a financial advisor do? I, I never really know. I feel like that's just a broad term, but maybe it does actually mean something specific. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so there's multiple things that we do. It depends on where you are in your in your financial life, if you will, right? Are you at the point where you need to get out of debt? Uh, we actually just because of COVID, we launched a whole new segment that we know, you know, segment of the business that we never really focused on before. But if you need debt management, if we need help with getting out of debt, we can help you with that. If you need help saving, we can help you with that. That's all in the same category. If you need help with investments, you, you know, you have money, you've saved money. Now you want your money to work for you. We can help you with that. Beyond that, you need help, you know, as a business owner, you need help with tax planning. You need to figure out how to start putting money towards things that you're employees need that you need versus paying the government. We do a lot of that. <laughs> yes. I don't like to give the government my money. Who does? Yeah. Right. Who does? So wh- when did you start your business Shanti? So yeah, I started about five years ago. Prior to that, I worked, um, I worked at a bigger firm um, with, with a senior advisor, um, a male senior advisor. Majority of the majority of the people in this business are men, as you may, may already know. <laughs> yeah, I've not kind of noticed that. Yeah. So um, I, I started the business, uh, really, I started in this sector about 12 years ago. Um, and then you know, after I had my kids, I decided to leave when uh, my senior advisor said I needed to work 80 hours a week and, uh, you know, didn't really need to spend time with my baby and my kids. Well, you know, I feel like that's prevalent in a lot of industries. There's just certain industry, industries. Like I know doctors can work really long, crazy hours and lawyers obviously do too. And It's kind of interesting. I've talked about this with other people, how women have this tricky balance of 
do I throw myself into my career and work or do I give my children attention so that maybe I could be a good mom and they know who I am? Um, And why can't we have both? It's, I guess, sort of an age old question, but it sounds like the answer for you was I'm going to go start my own business and I'm going to dictate my own schedule. That's right. The, I've, I felt, and, and during that position, you know, when I was in that position, I felt like the only way for me to have both was not to work 80 hours a week, which yeah. meant that I was no longer going to be an associate, um, you know, in the firm that I was with. And so I left, which was a, which was a scary thing. I, I think it's always scary to leave behind what you built for, you know, whatever, five plus years, and then all of a start, sudden start something new. But I'm, I'm glad I did that. It was probably one of the best decisions I've ever made in my life. Well, when you were there before having kids, did, were you working the crazy hours? I was, I was and it. And I didn't mind. I mean, I genuinely, I'm a hard worker. I love what I do. It, like it wasn't a problem then, but you know, and, and when I was dating my husband, he worked all the time as well. So it wasn't a problem. Once we had a family and I genuinely wanted to be home with the kids, that's when it became a problem, you know? Yeah. And before you had kids, though, did you ever think, you know, what am I going to do when I have kids or was it just not really on your radar? No, it's really funny that you said that because, um, so, you know, I'm a financial planner, a financial advisor. So I, I actually had planned to stay home with my son for five years. So I had saved enough. (laughs) I had saved enough to be able to live without working for five years. Wow. Nobody does that. (laughs) You can do that when you don't have a life, you work 80 hours a week. Well, yeah, well, but you also prioritize that because um, I'm a huge fan of Sex in the City. And if anybody watched that show, you remember the episode when Carrie wanted to buy a house and realized that she had spent all of her money on shoes and she had no savings. And I think there are a lot of Carrie Bradshaw's out there. I'm going to stay mom on whether I am or not. But there's a lot of that going around, isn't there? Absolutely. So I was one of them, you know, uh, my first job out of college, I had made, I made more money than my parents had made, you know, combined in a year. Like it was just, you know, I probably made three times and it was not a lot of money to, to just give you, uh, you know, a snapshot of, of what that was. But so I used to go every Friday, I would strut down, you know, Manhattan and I'd go and I'm like, I work so hard and I'd go and buy my, you know, whatever hundred dollar pair of shoes or whatever it was. And, and I'd go home and I'd be really happy because I bought these shoes and I'd go home and I'd look at them and I'd be like, oh my God, why did I spend this much money? And I was like, okay. And then, and oftentimes I would go back, go back and return those same shoes like the following Monday. Buyer's remorse. Yeah. Cause that like joy of like, oh, I worked so hard for this. And now I bought this was gone by Monday. I'm like, why did I do this? It's true. I mean, I still have clothes with the tags on them and I know I'm not the only one, but it's so ridiculous. We're all there. So I'm a recovering Carrie Bradshaw. I just figured a way out. I just figured, okay, if I really want to have money, it's okay to buy things, right? But if you don't really love it and you don't really need it, then go return it, you know? Yeah. If you've uh, gotten off that high, if you will. Or they have interesting stuff right now that I was just talking to a friend about, like Rent the Runway. And, and they have other businesses like this where you can just kind of borrow clothes and wear it for a while. I mean, it might sound a little creepy, but 
I don't know, you could just use it until you're sick of it and then you just return it. So, and then, you know, high end stuff. Yeah, I think it's a great idea because think about it. I mean, I don't know about you, but I get tired of stuff after a couple of months. I'm like, yeah, I'm like, okay, I'm ready for a new whatever it is, right? Now I donate the clothes. But yeah, if I bought something that was thousands of dollars, I'd I'd feel really guilty about donating it like a couple of months later, right? (laughs) Well, I'll tell you a secret, you and everybody who's listening or watching. So this shirt that I have on right now, I don't even know what brand it is. It's a beautiful shirt. I love this shirt. Thank you. It's, I wish I had looked at the tag before I put it on. So little secret, this shirt still has the tag on it. And the reason for that is because I bought a whole bunch of beautiful high-end blouses from Nordstrom. I hope Nordstrom isn't watching, but I bought them from Nordstrom. (laughs) I'm going to use them to record all my podcasts (laughs) and then I'm going to return them all. Oh my goodness. (laughs) Yeah. I don't think I will be able to keep up these shenanigans for very long because Nordstrom will flag me at some point. They'll, they'll be like, why does this lady keep buying like 10 Veronica beard blouses and then returning them a week later? So, and I have no shame right now, but I, the way I look at it, it's like, you know, if I was Kim Kardashian, I would go to a photo shoot and they would just give me clothes to wear. Right. And then you just leave. But I'm not Kim Kardashian, not yet anyway. So I I have to, you know, make lemonade. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I don't know. Do you have can you help women who come to you and say, look, you know, I have expensive tastes. I'm, you know, making X amount of dollars. It's a good amount, but not enough to really buy the stuff that I want. Can you work with them? To maybe kind of earmark a certain amount of money so that they can have those luxuries, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. We work with a lot of women. So majority of these women who I'm talking about who are, you know, thousands and thousands of dollars in credit card debt, they make six figures. These are not, you know, majority of them. They're not people who are making, you know, small amounts of money. And they have expensive tastes. And that is why there are thousands and thousands of dollars in debt. So, you know, a lot of it, and we, we work with, we work with them, but we also recommend that they um, have a therapist because there's a reason why you're doing this, that, you know, it's, and it's beyond my, it's beyond my scope. There's, there's a reason why you're spending, you know, $30,000, $50,000, whatever it is, and there's no need for it, right? It's, it's, it's different when you're, as, as a result of the pandemics, a lot of people have had to put things on their credit card, right? Basic necessities like food, shelter, right? Things like that. But we're not talking about that. We're talking about women who just, you know, keep spending because it's, it's that the same thing, you know, I just said, right. It's that high. It makes you feel good. You did something right. You were able to buy this. Look at the, it's the, the power, the control that I have over my life. Right. When other things in life don't, when it doesn't feel like you have control over other parts of your life. Right. So that's, yeah. So that's part of it. I think, unfortunately, the world that we live in too, where we sort of measure success by what you can buy. So if I can have the red bottom, like Louboutin shoes, at least to the outside world, I look like I'm doing pretty damn good. And I'm probably doing better than someone who doesn't have those, but you never really know because someone could have had, I could have a ton of credit card debt that they can't pay to buy that stuff to look successful. 
So absolutely. So I'll tell you, uh, and we have clients that make a lot of money, like our largest client makes 30 million plus. So the, that client that makes 30 million plus does not buy Louis Vuitton shoes. Really? Yeah, really. I mean, I'm not saying that they don't have a comfortable life by any means, but I'm just saying they are savers. They like to save their money. Majority of the clients that we have that are millionaires. Have you ever read that book? It's called The Millionaire Next Door. And, no. and, in, and in that book, so, so whoever's listening should go read that book, right? In that book, they actually talk about the fact that um, majority of the millionaires are your average Joe Schmo, like you won't know that they're millionaires, right? They're yeah. the ones clipping the coupons. They're the ones that are looking for the deals. And then people who you just see spending and spending tend not to have a lot of money because they're spending all their money, right? Yeah, they're not saving it. But isn't the whole point of having all the money so that you can spend some of it? Yeah, absolutely. There's nothing wrong. I think there's a fine balance, right? There's there's groups of people who think that you should save everything. And, and I certainly have clients who, who feel that way. You know, we usually are just do insurance for them because they know everything. They know how to save. They know how to do this. They know how to do that. I'm like, that's fine. You do you. <laughs> yeah. The, the, the challenge with some of those people is that, you know, they're saving almost to their... Um, to their demise, like they'll, they'll be eating ramen noodles and these people have families and, you know, and, and working like crazy. And I'm like, you have to enjoy life. Like the whole point of, of being given this life is so you can enjoy, right? I'm not saying spread frivolously, like, you know, we know a lot of people in America do, and I'm not saying that you need to scrimp and save every single dime that you make. There's a, there's a happy balance between those two extremes, right? If you will. Yeah. I mean, as a divorce lawyer, I've seen plenty of, of couples who had a lot of credit card debt. And sometimes I, the ones that would really surprise me were the people that would make a combined income of 500000 yet they would have $100,000 or more of credit card debt. And I'd always think to myself, you know, how in the hell does that happen? Like, was the 500K not enough? You still needed to dip into the credit cards. And I was making, you know, I'm making less than that. So to me, uh, you know, I was like, that seems like so much money. Why would you need to use credit cards on that? Yeah, that's exactly it. So once you get to a certain income level, and I've and I've had to be very cautious about this, right? Once you go to the next level, if you will, right, then you start comparing. So for example, they'll say, you know, tr try not to be the person on the on the block where you know you have the biggest house, right? Because first of all, your house will never sell for what the rest, you know, like if you have the biggest yeah. house on the block, right. And your house in theory should be selling for 5 million. I'm just throwing random numbers out there. Right. But the rest of your house, but, re but the rest of the homes are selling for 500. Guess what? Your, your, your yeah. house is not going to sell for 5 million. Right. Yeah. It's just, it's not going to happen. So, so you don't want to be that person that's, um, you have to be cautious, I guess, when you're when you're going to the to the next level, like try not to compare yourself. Right. Your neighbor has the new shiny whatever. You don't need the new shiny whatever. Right. Their circumstance can be totally different than yours. Yeah. Well, you just burst my bubble. Um, <laughs> we'll have to talk more. No, I, I get what you're saying. I mean, and I do. I think things are sort of proportional because if you make a hundred thousand and you can go out and, um, you know, I don't know, spend $500 on clothes, 
that seem could seem like a lot to you, but then, you know, you get Jeff Bezos who, you know, $500, he probably spends more than on a tie. So, but, but he, it's different because he can afford it. And it's like such a small fraction of what he actually has as available income than someone who's making a lot less. Right. And I like that you said people, um, you recommend people go to therapy. Do they get upset? Do they get offended? (laughs) Um, I, I have had to tell people that, and I, and I say it nicely as you, I, I try to say everything very nicely. Um, you know, sometimes I tell people that this is beyond, uh, my, my scope of where I'm able to help you, you know, cause this, this has this need to spend money has nothing to do with you know, with what I'm trying to help you with really. Right. I mean, there's a reason why you feel like you need to spend thousands of dollars on whatever it is. Like I can't help you with that. Yeah. There's something deep inside of you that's, that's going on. Um, and you need to figure that out either by yourself or with the help of someone else. (laughs) Right. Um, but we can help you once you've, once you've made the decision, okay, you're right. I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to keep spending and not have anything for emergencies. Like we just live, we all lived through March. Right? There were people who didn't. And to this day, there are still people that don't have, you know, at least three to six months of what they should have in their bank accounts. Just yes, I know. Um, I think a lot of people though, when you get accustomed to this habit of just spending, like for instance, I know so many people that get Starbucks every day, they might spend between hundred and $200 a month on Starbucks. And when you really start evaluating your budget, you realize, well, if I just didn't go to Starbucks every day, that's an extra one or $200 a month. And where else am I doing that? Yeah. So there's a guy who wrote a book, uh, David Bach, I think is his name. And, and he had, and he wrote this book and in there, he called it the latte factor, right? So look at how much money you're spending on your lattes. And let's just say it's five bucks, you know, which is probably about right. Yeah. Uh, Five bucks a day times five days, right? That's 25 bucks times four. That's a hundred dollars every month that you're just spending on coffee. We're not even talking about dinner or lunch or anything else. So if you can just take that and put it towards your savings, put it towards your IRA, put it towards your investments, whatever, right? We're not talking big amounts of money, just small changes that you, that you could, that everyone could be making, right? Instead of, you know, going to Starbucks, just grab a, grab a cup of coffee at home, right? Yeah. <laughs> Make your own coffee. I mean, I think in some sense with the pandemic, a lot of people have, have been forced to do that, right? Because for a while, everything was shut down. And that, that habit of going to Starbucks or going to wherever your local coffee shop or whatever, which by the way, needs your, needs your support at this point. Right. But that habit is no longer there for a lot of people or it shouldn't be there. Right. It's not yeah. necessary. There was a book. I never read it, but it's got a great title. You've probably heard of it. Young, Fabulous and Broke. Oh, yeah. I've, I've never I haven't read that one either. But yes. Well, I mean, the premise behind the book is how there's these young, I guess, yuppies. I don't even know if that's a relevant term anymore, but yeah. young, young ish professionals that are coming into their own and they're starting to make more money and they're they're broke, though. Because they're, they're spent, they're spending it, you know, they're spending it on all this luxury stuff that we're talking about. And do you see a lot of people like that? 
Um, I actually don't see a lot of young people that are spending a lot of money on um, young people, I think, for the most part, are a little bit more conservative. They've, you know, they've seen their parents lose money. They've, like, they've gone through some of the, the people that I see spending the most money are usually in their, like, 30s, 40s. That's where I see a lot of people um, spending money. But yeah, I mean, you know, I, I gave you my own example. I mean, I think yeah. the first time I realized I was making so much money, which really in retrospect was very little money. Right. But, um, it was the most you ever made. Oh gosh. At the time. At that time. Oh, my first job out of, out of college. I think I was like making 35,000. I mean, and I thought that was so much money. And now like, you know, 35,000 seems like I'm like, what was I thinking? Like, how did I even survive? Right? Yeah. Like, how did yeah. I live on that? But, but from that point, because I didn't spend or I did spend frivolously, I just returned it, right? <laughs> but because yeah. I, I did that, we, you know, a couple of years later, I saved all that money and I, and I bought a property. So it worked out. Well, that was smart. That can cause a lot of problems in relationships, uh, which obviously I see all the time is a spender versus a saver. Yep. But I want to go and into, I want to dig into your personal life, Gigi. <laughs> dig away, dig away. I'm an open book. <laughs> so you said that you were, you had been in the financial business for about 12 years. Yep. So what did you do before that? Uh, before that, I was in real estate. Um, that's where I met my husband, who's, who's also in real estate. Um, I was a realtor. I, so, so I bought my house. I, I mentioned I was I worked in Manhattan and then um, I bought my property, which happened to be a two family property. And every month my tenant was paying me rent. And I was like, oh, this is the, this is it. This is what I was meant to do in life. <laughs> so I went and became a realtor and I was going to be a big, uh, you know, I was going to have lots of properties and all this. Well, the reality of, of having lots of properties and, you know, we have uh we have two tenants right now. The reality of that is it's a lot of work. Yeah, um, that's what I hear. Unless you have a management company. And then if you have a management company, they're taking a big, well, not a big, but they're taking a percentage of it, which cuts into your profitability, right? How much um, do they normally take? I think they take 15 to 18%, depending on the, um, you know, what part of the country that you're in. Okay. I've always heard that owning properties and being a landlord isn't worth the money and, or the trouble because people always say you just sort of break even. Yeah. So that's where, you know, I didn't, I didn't pursue that because that's exactly what I found. You're constantly dumping more money into it, right? Something always needs to be fixed. It's just the reality of life. You know, your faucet isn't going to last forever. The toilet isn't going to last forever. And there's so many moving parts that, we're, and even we still own this property and we're still putting money into it. We're making money because, you know, I bought it, you know, however many years ago, 2003 or whatever. Right. So we're making money on it, but it's still, we're not buying more property because it doesn't make financial sense to me. Like I can just take that same amount of money and invest it in the market and make more money and have less headache. Right. Like I don't have to worry about somebody calling me up because their toilet is broken or their yeah. sink is leaking or whatever. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Well, I guess it only it starts to pay off, I guess, after the house is paid off and then whatever rent you're getting, it's just yours. Well, I think I also know a lot of clients who 
I, because I came from real estate, I have a lot of clients who are real estate developers and things like that. Right. So it can work for you. It, it has worked out for a lot of them. Um, they just take the money. They're flippers for the most part. You know, they buy a property for whatever, let's say 300,000, they dump 50 to a hundred thousand into it. And then they sell it for uh, 500,000. So they made a quick hundred thousand dollars right there. Right. Yeah. That takes a lot of capital up front though. It does. Uh, but a lot of the times you, you're, you can get that $300,000 home is mortgaged, right? And then you just, you have to have that 150 to 100, or you can take equity out of the property, which usually there is, um, depending on, you know, what deal you get. So it can be done. So a lot of these guys that, that own multiple properties are making money. Um, I just don't, I don't know if it's worth it for me. Um, that's always a question that I ask, you know, would I rather do that or make money in the market? And my answer has always been to make money in the market. Just yeah, it's less work for me. I already have a business. I don't need another. Yeah. And that's your thing. You know, you have to love it. Yeah. If you don't love it, it just feels like work. So you did what, what was the job that you had when you were making 35,000 and you thought you were rich and you bought all the shoes <laughs> and then returned them? Yeah, yeah. I started off as an assistant uh, in the research department. I was doing research for a television company. Um, and from that point, yeah, I, I was, th that was my major in college. I wanted to be, uh, it was media. I really wanted to work for MTV. Uh, I worked for VOD, which is video on demand. In demand is the name of the company. Um, so I was started off as an assistant, then I became an analyst. And then I left as a senior analyst and, uh, yeah. <laughs> what happened to that dream? <laughs> I'm glad I'm glad I had that experience because it taught me a lot. Of, you know, I do a ton of uh, analysis right now, right? I learned Excel, all that all that great stuff. So I'm I'm so glad I had that experience, but I was bored out of my mind at that job. Really? Uh, well, you were doing it doesn't sound like you were doing creative work. Did you want to do creative work? Um I didn't know what, you know, like, like many 20 year olds, I didn't know what I wanted to do with life. I was like, you know, okay, I've graduated college. I need to go find a job. <laughs> um, found, I was trying to find myself. I went back, you know, went back to school at NYU. I got a, got this thing in, um, you know, in real estate. And I thought, I really thought I was going to be a big developer at some point and just, it did it didn't make financial sense to me. And, and that's the thing. Like I've always been, I've always looked at the numbers every every month. I was crazy when I didn't have kids and all this other stuff. Like I used to write down every, like we'd put a quarter in the machine and I would go back and write down that I put a quarter in the machine. And my husband, he, one time he was like, what are you doing? And I said, well, I just put a quarter in the machine. He's like, yeah, I, like, I got to write that down. He's like, oh my God. I'm, I'm surprised he didn't run away then, but <laughs> You must have had some other redeeming qualities. <laughs> Clearly. Because <laughs> looking back, I'm like, I may have ran away from that person. <laughs> well, I don't know. Maybe he kind of liked it. Yeah, he's very structured. So you probably liked that I was. Uh... I, I like that you say structured. I was thinking more OCD, but, you know, <laughs> tomato, tomato. Are you an, are you um like extremely neat and organized? Like, are oh, you God. one of those people you open the pantry and everything's lined up? Oh, I wish my, we wish I was like that. <laughs> okay. We, my husband wishes I was like that. No, I'm really OCD about money and that it ends right about there. <laughs> Everything else is kind of like, eh. 
but it has to be organized like in your head there has to be and some order to it all yeah yeah, yeah. that's probably good yeah. so you okay so mtv dreams put aside and then you did the real estate thing yeah but it's, it sounds like you didn't love that either Real estate was hard. So especially, you know, the 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 thing about and, and most people don't think about this, but when you're in real estate doing this full time and you're 100 percent commission, it's really hard to get another loan. Right. Yeah. Unless you have a ton of equity in in your property, which, you know, I did until 2008 when the whole crash happened. Right. So if you don't have a ton of equity in the property um, and you're and you're working, um as a, as an independent contractor, there's banks aren't lining up to give you loans. Right. So that was the issue with the real estate dream. And, and at the end of the day, it's like I said, it's, it's a lot of work, you know, it's a, it's a lot of work to manage and manage people because you're managing the tenants, right. And, and manage the property as well. So maintain the property as well. I'd rather manage the property than the people. <laughs> I think more, most of us would agree with that. A little more predictable, easy yeah. to, to work with. So then how did you come up with the bright idea of being a financial advisor? And did you already have the credentials? So you had to go back to school or? Yeah. So no, um, I came up with the brilliant idea because 2008 had happened and we realized that when I, while I was in real estate, you know, so there was a guy that was making $50,000. Uh, that's what he, you know, doing whatever he was doing. I would think he was a manager somewhere. He's making $50,000 and he was trying to buy a home for $500,000. And I said to him, I said, this doesn't make any sense. Like, you know, you can't buy a house for half a million when you're only making 50,000. I said, this is how much you're going to get. And I broke it down for him. You know, what, what his, what should have happened with his mortgage guy. I broke it down for him. And I said, just think about it. Like, all of your money is going to go, right? You're going to spend all your money on the mortgage, the, you know, the lights, whatever, like, how are you going to pay for anything else? How are you going to pay for the clothes on your back? Right. The food, yeah. mouth. like, how are you going to pay for all of that? He's like, he just looked at me dumbfounded and he's like, I don't know, but this piece of paper here says that I can buy a house for half a million dollars. I was like, <laughs> Oh my gosh. I just told you that you, you shouldn't. And you're like telling me this. And he's like, well, if you don't want to sell me the house, someone else will. And I'm like, oh, my God. Oh, guy. so you had a moral dilemma. And like, this guy's a freaking lunatic. Right. And so this is what I the light bulb went off that I'm like, people just don't understand the basics of money. You know, if you're making this much money, you can't have all of it go, go into housing. You need Did to he buy it? Unfortunately, he did buy a house through me. I convinced him not to buy the $500,000 home. He bought a house for $300,000, which was probably still a little bit of a stretch because he he was the only one working and bought $50,000 to buy a home in New Jersey, you know, and live and do all that other stuff. Yeah. So needless to say, he ended up losing his house you know, a couple of years later, right? Which... Well, this is that period of time when they were just giving out these ridiculous loans. I don't remember yeah. all the details about it. There was a great movie on it. Can't remember. Yeah, I think I know. Either. <laughs> yeah, but this was that, that explained that why the, the real estate market bottomed out. But maybe you could just give a little more explanation. But they were giving out these loans to people that really couldn't afford them. But what did they have a variable interest rate? Did something happen where there was a balloon payment or something and the people just couldn't pay it? And so they would foreclose. Yeah, that was the one of the many reasons. A lot of these guys should have never been given the 
should have never been given the mortgage because the other thing that people don't talk about when they're buying homes, which I know there's a big surge of people looking for homes right now, right? In the millennial population. The other issue is that things break, you know, you know how much it is to replace a roof, (laughs) you know, all that stuff Mm -hmm. is expensive. So if you don't have that, you're going to lose, you know, you're going to lose in this, like you're going to have leaky roof and it's just, it's, it's a nightmare. So yeah, and you can't control it. Because when it happens, it happens. And it always happens at an inconvenient time, right? Because there's never a convenient time. No. And you're like, shit, now I got to replace the air conditioner or the furnace or, you know, a tree fell on my house or whatever. And you're stuck with it. I rent. So I've always said, I think owning is totally overrated, but I'm single. I don't have kids. So I maybe I would feel differently under those circumstances, but I've always said I I just think that maybe renting is or owning isn't really what it's cracked up to be because of that. No, I think I think there's a there's an argument to be made, um, you know, in New Jersey, where the tax property taxes are really high, that it may not make sense for everyone to own. Um, On the flip side, you know, you can look at it and say, well, you're paying towards housing, right? So you're paying a certain amount towards housing. Um, why don't you take that same amount and put it towards your own equity in your own home, right? Versus paying someone else's mortgage, because that's what my tenants are doing right now, right? They're essentially paying my mortgage for that property. Yeah, that's the argument. But if something breaks, you have to fix it. They don't. You know, they don't even have to call the repair person. They don't. Have to, they can sit on the couch and and you know say, "Gigi, when when are you sending over the repair guy?" <laughs> and absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. And the, and those things happen, right? But when you crunch the numbers and you look, right? Because we have, I have this discussion with my husband all the time because there was a time when I was like, "Let's buy more property. Let's buy more property." And he's like, "Why?" <laughs> he's like, "So I can go and fix something? No, thank you." <laughs> um, yeah. But, but yeah, I think I, I, you're right. There, there, there's, there's, if you don't want to fix stuff, if you don't want to be, if you don't want to be bothered with all that, then yes, don't, don't own a property. Right. But on the flip side of that, like, just know that every month you're paying whatever it is, you know, whether it's a small amount, thousand or a big amount, 5,000, whatever the number is right. Anywhere between there you're, you're paying that no matter what, because you have, you need a place to live. So yeah. you either pay it towards equity in your own home or you pay it towards someone else's mortgage. So well, the only example that I ever give is, um, when the real estate market tanked and people were stuck in homes that their equity, the equity tanked and they were upside down. Yep. And that wasn't really through any fault of their own. So that's sort of what I always think about is, well, People do have this idea that they're building equity and probably it's more likely that you are, but then how can you ever predict something like that would happen again? You can't predict stuff like that, right? There are people who bought their homes worth tons of money, right? And then something horrible happened, like like Sandy Hook, for example, right? Yeah. Those, those people were not going to be able to sell their property for what, you know, what it was worth prior to that incident happen- happening. Absolutely. Things like that happened. But if you look at a whole, right, because we're looking mm-hmm. at, it's, it's kind of, I look at numbers all day. So I look at, you know, that's how I, that's how I make decisions. If you look at the broad base 
of numbers, right? Majority of the people will make money on their property. Will everyone make money on their property? No, (laughs) no, you know, but not everyone will make money in the market either, right? Or on Bitcoin or whatever it is, Mm -hmm. right? Yes. (laughs) So you um, discovered this desire to help people um, sort of manage their finances and it probably fed your OCD tendencies. (laughs) (laughs) So what did you do? Did you have to go back to school? Yeah, yeah. So I um, actually started working. I, w- I went in through the insurance route. I started working at MetLife. Um, and then from the insurance route, I, because, um, you know, the, the other thing is, the, the reason why I went through the insurance route is because um, I lost my father when I was, uh, when I was 19. So he left us with with nothing. Like he didn't mean to leave us with nothing. He just didn't know any better. Right. He, we had, uh, we had a home that we couldn't manage. Uh, we, we did own like a little, um, investment property in Elizabeth. We had a business in Jersey city that we couldn't manage, but we had no money. (laughs) What was the business? It was a little bodega, little corner grocery store. That's what, uh, that's what immigrants in Jersey city used to do back in the day. (laughs) Is it still there? No, no, we got rid of it after my dad. Um, so yeah, so I, I went in through the insurance world because I because I saw a big need for it, right? Because I went through it myself, and then from that point, I I went back and studied and um, you know got licensed and all that um, to do investments as well. So yeah, that was about twelve years ago. And is that when you got the job where your supervisor eventually told you that you had to work eighty hours a week? Correct. <laughs> But you must have learned a lot there. I did. I did. I'm, you know, everything that's happened, good and bad, because a lot of bad stuff happens in life, right? Mm -hmm. Everything that happens in life makes you who you are today, right? So if you had taken any of those elements out, like had I not met that, met that, that guy who was like, you got to work 80 hours a week, I would have never left, right? I would have just stayed there and not been who I am right now. If, if the, the horrible situation with my dad didn't happen, I would know firsthand how important all this stuff is because I lived it very early on when most people don't go through this sort of stuff until later on in life. You know, I was forced to go through it. Yeah. Tell me what it was like when, when growing up, you know, with your dad running the bodega and you know, what was life like for you? Yeah. So, um, so my dad came here as an immigrant. He was, he was an engineer, um, but it was really hard for him. Um, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of factors that go into it. Right. But it was really hard for him to have a nine to five job. Um, so he, you know, he decided that he was going to buy a home. He was living the American dream from a, from an immigrant perspective, right? He was going to buy a home. He just happened to buy a home, uh, in an area that was not very safe. And so the home that we're supposed to move in, we ended up renting. Um, He bought this business because he once again wanted to feel like, and see, this is kind of like what I'm talking about when, when sometimes I have to tell people like there's things that are beyond me and you need to go somewhere else. Right. He always Mm -hmm. wanted to feel like he had accomplished things. And I think a lot of people want to feel like that. Mm -hmm. And, and the fact that we take out our credit card and, you know, say charge it makes us feel like, Hey, I can do this. I have this, right. I got this. Um, and so he, he, they worked all the time. I think I, I have learned how to 
my hardworking, you know, gene inside of me comes from my mom and dad. They used to work all the time. Like, I mean, they would leave early in the morning at seven o'clock so they can give people coffee, you know, so people can come in and buy coffee and they would leave at 11 o'clock at night and try to make, yeah, like no joke. They were there 24 seven. Um, it was tough. I mean, I, I think they bought that when I was 15 years old. And so from 15 on, I was kind of on my own. I kind of raised myself, uh, if you will. So it's a, it's, it's been an interesting journey. <laughs> what was he doing before that? He was an engineer. Um, but in the, in the States. Yep. Oh, why did he leave that? I guess because the job, the job prospects were not so great um, at the, at that time in the eighties for, for civil engineering. That's, that's what he did. And I think when people go into business, you know, at least I think that the general public believes this is that you just start, you know, money just starts raining on you, you know, (laughs) and I, we know because we have businesses that you have to put an awful lot of work and effort and planning and strategy into all of that. Yeah. I tell people, you know, who I have a ton of clients who come to me who are unhappy with their jobs or whatever. And, and they say, okay, I really want to start my own business. And I'm like, great. Do you have three to five years worth (laughs) saved up for, you know, of expenses? And the answer is usually no. Uh, Very few people have, you know, three years, even even a year worth of expenses uh, sitting there. Right. So if you don't have that, because if you look at the stats, majority of the businesses fail within the first five years. Right. The The people who survive the first five years will go on to be successful. But majority of the businesses will not you know, a lot of them don't even survive that. Well, I, I think what I learned when I went solo, cause I did it the traditional route. I also worked for somebody else and then I went solo and I realized truly that I was running a business. It wasn't just about practicing law. I think I sort of knew that intellectually before, but you don't really get it until you're doing it. And then you realize, you know, it's not just about me being a good lawyer. That's not enough because there's plenty of bad lawyers that are making money and have thriving businesses. You have to really learn all those working parts of the business and how to keep it going and make it efficient and profitable. And were you at a little bit of a head start maybe when you started your business, but having this financial background? Um, yes and no. I mean, you know, when, when I went completely on my own, I knew like I've always had that financial savings and all that sort of stuff. So that's always been there. So yes, I had a head start in that way. But in terms of, you know, even to this day, I feel like we're all still learning, you know, there are, there are more efficient ways that I could be doing things, right? Like, I, I don't know how you feel, but I feel like yeah. I'm constantly looking for more efficient ways to run my business. Like, and there are so many tools and tricks out there that, you know, every day I'm like, oh, I should be doing this instead of doing this. Right. Yeah. So it's, it's a constant learning process, but I think the biggest thing I think we all can take away from running businesses this year specifically is that we all have to be really flexible, right? You have to figure out how to make things work very quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, when, when you're scared, I mean, you know, when this whole pandemic thing happened, I went out on Facebook and I was, I didn't know what was going to happen to my business. Right. We didn't know. I mean, it it ended up being fine, but um, I went out there and I said, Hey, look, if you lost your job and you don't know how you're going to feed yourself or, you know, something's happened, reach out to me. Like 
I'm doing pro bono work. So did people reach out to you? I did, yeah, they did. They did. Oh, I that's had to, nice. Yeah. And so what kind of advice do you give them? And, and I guess even with your wealthy people, what were they scared because of COVID? Oh, yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. All the businesses were affected. I mean, they were a little, you know, they were, I think everyone is always fearful when you're in business, right? Is there, is there going to be a competitor that comes and takes away your, you know, your piece of the pie, if you will, right. That you have. Um, so I think everyone was scared, but I think they knew that, that it was, it was going to be okay. Right. Like there was enough money there that they could sustain themselves. And I knew that too. And I was like, okay, well, if I don't make money this year, I'm okay. <laughs> Life will go on right next year. We'll make money. Um, well, do you think sometimes it, it's just helpful to have somebody like you who has these credentials kind of look over things and just assure them that, you know, as long as you don't go blow all of your checks on, you know, shoes, you're going to be okay. It's just now is not the time to maybe splurge on a luxury. Yeah. So that's exactly what, you know, when those people reached out to me and they were like, oh my God, I don't have any money. What am I going to do? And I said, okay, you're getting that. You know, most people got those checks in the mail. And I said, don't, don't spend anything, spend as little as you can, you know, all the checks that you're getting from unemployment, from whatever it is. Uh, some people got severance, whatever it was. I was like, put, put all of that away. There's no need. There's nothing that you need. In fact, you know, if you start cleaning out your house and this is what I told all of them to do, start cleaning out your house, start selling stuff that you don't need. Right. You're going to, you're going to realize how much you have. Cause I did it. <laughs> you know, you're going to realize how much crap you have in your home that you absolutely <laughs> don't need. So really you going out there and buying another pair of whatever it is, jeans, shoes, whatever, right. Another painting or whatever, you don't need any of it. Right. Like once it's there, you're like, Oh no, it's cluttering up my space. Right. It's so true. And I think you don't realize how much crap you have until you have to move. Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, why do I have this? I, I'm throwing this out. Um, yeah, I'm really into the minimalist people. I am too. I'm so not a minimalist. I would, I'm an aspiring minimalist. <laughs> yeah, me too. One thing I do hang on to that my boyfriend hates my books. I can't get rid of my books. I have two huge bookcases. They're like three books deep. Do you, do you hold it. on to them because you remember reading them and you, and you, and you like, you remember that feeling that you got when you first, that little light bulb went out or do you hold on to them just because it's like something to hold on to? I don't know. I mean, I don't think I have this problem with other things. It's books and it's really awful. I'm embarrassed to admit this, but I haven't even read a lot of them. <laughs> Japanese word. I forget. I don't know how to pronounce it, but you could Google it and find it starts with a T. There's a Japanese word for people who do that, who just collect books and don't read them. Yeah. I mean, I'm not saying I haven't read them. Like I've read most of them, but there's still a lot on the, the shelves that I haven't read. There, there's an American word for it too. Hoarders. Hoarder. <laughs> <laughs> I think I like the Japanese word better. <laughs> Well, hoarders will have, you know, like garbage around the house. 
<laughs> right, right, right. That that show hoarders has garbage, but you know, there's the other sort of hoarders, right? Like I'm like that with paperwork. I'm like every single piece of paper. I'm like, oh, I may need this, right? And yes. I get rid of it. <laughs> I don't need it. Now I started scanning stuff. I'm like, if I really need it, I'll scan it and then, you know, save it. But well, did you ever read? I think it's a, her name is Marie Kondo. Am I saying her name right? That book about um, the magic of tidying up, the art of tidying up, something like that. But she she says in her book that you should take all of your belongings, like room by room, for instance, clothes. You take everything out of the closet, off the shelves, you put it in the middle of the floor and you go through each individual piece and you you evaluate it as though, does it bring me joy? Yeah. Does this one piece bring me joy? And if it does, you keep it. And that's how you decide what you're keeping and what you're getting rid of. And you can't just leave it on your shelf and say, oh, let me look at that one and see if it brings me joy. She says in the book, you have to take everything down, which, cause I was like, I'm not doing that. <laughs> cause then I got to put it all back. But I don't know. I think I get it. Cause if you try the first time you try it, it seems weird, but the books bring me joy. They do. And then there are other things I have where I'm just like, why is that still here? You know, I don't like if that, if that died in a fire, I don't think I would care. I wouldn't miss it. You know? Right. I wouldn't even notice it. Right. Right. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I don't know. You should try it. I should, I should. (laughs) Well, this is what, this is what we can do. We can start a book club, give us the names of all the books. We'll start a book club and and we'll read all the books that you're, that you're reading. You know what I'm reading right now? It's called, um, good to great. How how some companies heard of that. Have you read it? Let's start a book club with that. It's on my bookshelf though. (laughs) Is it on your bookshelf? (laughs) It was a business book that was recommended. It's a very popular business book. Yeah. It's on the New you York. like it? I do. I do. I, I like business though. Like I'm, you know, it, it's fascinating to me to figure out why some, why like there's in there, if you, if you, if you read the book, they talk about how Walgreens has done, you know, like 10 times what like Intel or all these, you know, tech companies that you thought did, did so great. And why it's done that. So that stuff is really interesting to me. But you, I think you should. Okay, so we're going to start a book club. I knew everyone who's listening, <laughs> read that book. <laughs> I was say, you're causing me anxiety. I'm waiting for you to say you need to get rid of your books. Because <laughs> that would send me into a tailspin. <laughs> no, I'm not telling you to get rid of your books. If you want to read, like read them and then make a decision. Is this some, is this something that I really want to remember or not? Right. Cause, cause I've, I've held on to books, you know, from college and from all that stuff. Yeah. And it's like, it's the feeling of, Oh, I remember being in that moment, reading that, like the light bulb going on like that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'll often remember, you know, where I was in my life when I read it or, you know, if it was something I read in the summer on the beach, I'll remember that. Um, maybe, maybe that's sort of what the attachment is. <laughs> so what are some, what are the most common kind of mistakes that you see people make with their money or their planning or what have you? The common mistakes that people, I think the biggest common mistake that people make is that they think that, you know, they will always be making money. Money will always be there no matter what. 
I have to say, I think teachers and nurses are notorious for this because they're in fields where, you know, for a teacher, for example, um, it's true, unless you do something really big time screwed up, you know, the, the union's going to fight for you and you're, you're going to keep your job, right? Same thing with nurses, your job isn't going anywhere. So money's always going to be flowing in. Uh, but those are the people who tend to spend a lot of money, you know, and some of it, some of it is psychological, you know, they don't like, it's been a rough day at wherever they were, you know, in the classroom, there was a rough day in the hospital. And so they'll buy a lot of things that they don't need because it makes them feel good because it was a rough day. So that's the, I think the biggest mistake I think people make is they feel like no matter what, um, you know, they'll always, they'll always be money coming in no matter what. Well, they kind of forget that, you know, I'm going to be old one day. I'm not going to be able to work. And unless you have passive assets, you know, like unless you're a real estate developer who's got all this money still flowing in, that's why planning for retirement is so important, which I didn't realize until it was, you know, I was older too. Yeah. So a lot of those guys, so for example, teachers, right, they have pensions, mm. really good pensions, by the way, you know, if you, if you know, know a lot of know any teachers or whatever. Um, same thing with nurses, depending on now they have, there's less, less and less nurses with pensions, but you know, years ago, they all had pensions through the hospital or whatever. So, so once again, they were not worried about, you know, they felt like no matter what, I think the other mistake that people make is that they feel that in America, no matter what you'll be taken care of. Right. Mm. Like social security, but you don't even really get that much in social security. It's not social enough to live on. Right. And that's the biggest mistake. Most people don't know. And so when, you know, during one of the first meetings that I, uh, that I have with people, you know, on my list of things to bring with, bring, bring with them to speak to me is a social security statement. And people are like, what? I haven't seen one of those in like since 2006. I'm like, yeah, so go pull it up and, and bring it. Right. And they're like, why? Cause I'm like, you need to know how much you're going to get, how much are you spending right now? How much are you going to get? Right. And majority of the people like, you know, even on a, if you look at a good social security statement, you know, they're getting like 26, 2,600 or 3,000 or whatever, right? Um, and that's not, I mean, depending on what your expenses are, that's not a lot of money. Uh, you know, we have no. clients that are spending 15,000 a month. Is that taxable? Social security? Yeah. Yeah. So out of your social security, Medicare uh, expenses comes out, but your medical expenses go way down uh, because, you know, if you're, for example, if you're a business owner and you're paying for um, medical yeah. insurance or whatever, you know how expensive it is, right? Yes, it is. Right. So once, once you turn 65 and there are people who I have a ton of clients who are like, you know, in their late fifties who are like waiting for that magical 65 number, because now instead of spending thousands and thousands of dollars, um, you know, their medical Medicare, uh, expenses will automatically come out of social security. Do you have to pay taxes, income taxes on the social security that you get? depending on what, how much money that you're getting, it's um, so, you know, if you're getting a small amount of money, like you're, if you're under the poverty level or whatever, then the answer is no. Okay. Right. Uh, most people have additional income that's coming in 
to Social Security, right? So um, mo most people have investment assets, for example, like they'll have a, an IRA that's paying them money as well. So yes, you'll have to pay money on that IRA. If it's a Roth IRA, you do not have to pay uh, money on that because it's already been taxed, right? You don't have to pay taxes on something that's already been taxed. So this is the biggest, probably the best advice I can give everyone out there is to invest in something. Uh, it doesn't necessarily have to be a Roth, but invest in something where it's post-tax. You've already paid the taxes on it, allow it to grow tax-free. And there's lots of different vehicles out there. If you have questions, they can reach out to me. But um, there's lots of different ways out there that you can put the money in and it's, it's deferring the taxes. So IRAs defer taxes as well. A traditional IRA or a 401k. So let's say you had a 401k at your old, um, at your old law firm, right? You roll that into a traditional IRA. So the traditional IRA, you're 65 years old, and now that, I'm going to throw random numbers out there, that uh, 401k that was 50000 is now $100,000, right? So you made, uh, you made, you went from 52, you made another 50000 so you, so now you have 100. You're going to pay taxes out of that at the current tax rates. We all think that tax rates will be going up from here. There's no way, I mean, we spend trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars, right? Where's the government getting the money from? Yeah. Yeah. Us. <laughs> us, right? So, so what's going to happen to the tax rates? Yeah. It's, yeah. it's, it's most likely going to go up. Is it ever advisable to liquidate any of your retirement? Cause I always hear that you can take money out for certain things, um, without penalties. I, I think one of those things is if you're going to make an improvement to your home, I'm not sure what the others are. And I think there were some exceptions recently because of COVID too. Yeah. It's, it's so people who don't plan end up taking money out of their, you know, people who don't plan for their finances, right. People who don't, who don't save the, the three to six months or the year's worth, if you own a business or five years, hopefully if so, you know, some of them, um, so, so this, this is your backup plan. If you have nowhere else to go, you can take money out of your 401k as a loan. You can take money out of uh, certain things. It's usually not an IRA. It's not recommended that you take money out of your IRA. There are provisions to that. But for the most part, I would say no. Don't do it unless you have to do it, right? If you have to do it and you have no other choice, well, there's your answer. You have no other choice, right? Because you didn't plan appropriately, but it's not advisable because when you go to take money out of your IRA, for example, right, you're going to end up paying, depending on your tax bracket, anywhere from 20 to 30% to federal, right? And then your state taxes. So, so let's say you take out out of that same example of a hundred thousand that I gave you, right? Let's say you take out 10,000 at, at current age, instead of after 59 and a half. If you go to take that money out right now, instead of getting 10,000, let's say you're in the 30% tax bracket, 30% of it, 3,000 will go to the federal government. 10% will go to the, you know, New Jersey state, right? So out of that 10,000 that you took out of your, your IRA or 401, uh, 401k, whatever it is, right? That money that you take, took out, you will only end up with 6,000. So you've already lost 40% of your money, right? 30 to 40%, depending on your tax bracket. Doesn't make so any it's sense. It's not worth that. No. And people ask me all the time, like, you know, I told you I work with a lot of people now who are trying to get a 
get out of debt. And they're like, well, maybe I should just take money out of here and pay my debt. And I'm like, no, it doesn't make any sense. You're losing money, right? The whole well, a lot of those people will just run up debt again too. And that's the hardest part. We're trying to get them out of debt and keep them out of debt. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's hard when you want to live like a baller. <laughs> it is. <laughs> but you don't have baller money. <laughs> you can go live like a baller at the dollar store. That's yeah. what I say. <laughs> no, I mean, that might be get something out of your system, right? Because you might feel like, wow, I'm going to buy all this stuff, but it's only a dollar. That could you know, feed some psychological need to do that. Absolutely. Absolutely. You spend $20 and you have like 20 things. Woo! <laughs> So let me ask you a question, and I, this will just show how ignorant I am about this stuff. How do you make money? Do these people pay you? Like, what what kind of fee do they pay you? Yeah, great question. So um, I make money in different ways with different people. So for example, the clients that we are doing financial coaching for, the people who just need, you know, who are in debt, they pay us uh, for for coaching purposes, just like you would pay any other coach, right? Uh, the people who uh, who just come to us, there are lots of people who just come to us for insurance purposes. They just want insurance. We get paid from insurance companies. There's no fee to them. Uh, people who just want to do some investments, we get paid through investment companies. We also do full financial plans for people. Um, I actually have a client tonight we're doing, we're looking at every single aspect of her life, her insurances, her money. Uh, she wants to make sure that she has enough money to retire. Uh, so we're running a, an analysis for her with all the money that she has. What's the probability that she won't run out of money uh, when she's 95 years old? That's the age that we take because most of us will live till 95, right? So we want to make sure you have enough money uh, no matter what happens. And while the women live longer, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The average age per women for women right now is age 87. With modern science, we think it'll be soon 92. And so we plan for 95. Well, my grandmother is 95. Oh, see, maybe we should be planning for 121. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. We'll see. We actually, the, the, the system does go out to, uh, to age, age 100. So we want to make sure you have enough money, right? You don't, the last yeah. thing you want to be is like, you know, 95 years old and saying, oh shit, I have no freaking money, right? Like who wants to do that? I've had a lot of coaching over the past several years and money mindset is something that coaches talk about a lot. The ones that I work with and, you know, they're very careful about helping you not sort of demonize money, right? And spending, you know, yeah. that's not always the problem. Sometimes the problem is that you're not making enough. Absolutely. You know, if you want to live a certain lifestyle, they encourage you to, you know, sit down with an Excel spreadsheet and figure out, you know, how, how do I really want to live? And realistically, you know, like, you don't need gold, gold toilet bowls, or you don't need to live like Jay-Z, but you know, how do you really want to live and be comfortable? And how much does that cost? And then sort of go from there and figure out, well, how can I maximize my earning capacity to, to do that? Is that something you work on with people? I do. I do. So, so money is a funny, you know, and, and I really, one day I'm going to write a book about this. Um, 
I think people have so many different perceptions of money, right? Some people think like, oh, let me just spend. It's, I almost say like, money's like a person. What kind of relationship do you have with money, right? Like, are you abusing it? Are you using it wisely? Are you loving it? I, I want to ask you, have you um, ever heard of that guy, Dave Ramsey? Yes, yes. So that's what I'm talking about. There's people who are like Dave Ramsey militant about like saving every single dime, right? Like, and I have, I have these guys as, as clients, right? Like, you know, majority of the time we're doing like life insurance, for example, for, for them, right. Or disability or whatever. Um, but they, they tell me like, they have got this whole thing figured out. They're like eating ramen noodles. You're eating. I'm like, Oh my God. And I just want to be like, you don't have to live like this. Like I understand. But his his whole thing is no debt. Like, Literally no debt. He's not just talking about credit card debt. He's got this whole, I forget what he calls his program, but you know, he, there's like a big Dave Ramsey program. I know someone who's doing it. I actually should ask her how that's going, but he's got this whole thing. Like, you know, you pay off all your credit cards, all your student loans, your mortgage, your car, like everything have no debt whatsoever. And one of the things he says is not to use credit cards. Because he says, even if you're one of those people that says, oh, it doesn't matter. I pay off my credit card in full every month. He says, you're still overspending because when you go to a restaurant, you're, you know, if you're, unless you're paying cash, it's easy to just go, oh, I'm going to get, you know, the tomahawk chop that's $80 and you know, the whatever scotch, I don't drink scotch. So whatever scotch is expensive. And if you were paying cash, you probably would be less likely to do that. I think that there's some truth to that. Yeah, so I agree. Um, I agree with some of that, but not all of it. So for example, I agree that, you know, we don't have, I don't, I pay all my debt. Like I don't have any credit card debt. I don't, I own my cars outright. You know, I don't own my properties outright. We could, we could have paid the, we could pay them off, but we don't because You're I like to show tax. off Gigi. No, no, I'm not showing off. I'm just I'm saying, just like, kidding. <laughs> but, but there's a reason why you want the properties mortgaged, right? Cause you want the tax deduction. So you have to think of it from a tax perspective. Like how is it helping you to have all of that money and property that you're living in? You're not utilizing that money to make money off of it. Cause that's my thing. Like, you know, you want to make money from the money that you have. You work so hard for your money. Let your money work for you. Right. And that's where I think I disagree with him um, when it comes to like, I don't think you should have your properties um, completely paid off. I think they should be mortgaged. And so, so the argument comes back to me oftentimes, well, you're paying interest rate. Yes. But I'm also getting a deduction for all of this other stuff, especially the investment property, right? Like I'm able to deduct a lot of stuff as a result of that. So, and all the money that you would be dumping into the house to get the mortgage paid off, you could be putting into investments that are going to make you money. Is that the logic? Yeah. All right. I've used up a lot of your time and I'm very grateful. Thank you. If I could, um, if you could indulge me in two more questions, um, one, what's on your bucket list? What's left for you? I mean, you're young, you got a lot of years ahead of you, right? Till 95, maybe a hundred. What do you want to do with all those years? So what's on my bucket list for, so there's so many different bucket lists. Remember there's, Oh, there's more than one bucket list. Okay. 
Um, I mean, the one thing that I think both my husband and I want to do, we, we definitely want to travel. We've, we wanted to travel and then uh, we got married and had kids soon after we got married. <laughs> so, uh, so traveling is, is definitely one of them. Um, I really think, you know, for me, life is all about experiences, right? At the end of the day, like the stuff that I have, like, who cares? Like, you know, my kids will have to clear out all my crap, right? We see, we see clients having to do this right now. So none of that stuff is important to me, but it's really just, um, I want to, you know, I want to live life. I want to travel, um, in terms of like what I'd want to, how I'd want to leave the world. Um, I really want to have financial education be a part of our, um, our school. Like, I think that's so important. That's the one thing that I, that I hope would, will be my legacy. All right. And then of course I have to make sure that we tell everybody how they can find you if they're interested in talking to you more. Yeah. So should I give you all my contact information? You can you have a website. We do have a website. It's shantinowfinancial.com and we are in the process of revamping it. So it will be available hopefully by the time this goes live. All right. Well, I will make sure that we have links to your website and you can give me whatever other material you want so that people can find you. And um, if there's any women out there that need a little bit of help, maybe figuring out how they can buy the shoes or the house or whatever it is, reach out to Gigi. Thank you. Thank you. This was great. Thank you for listening to Wake Up Call, the podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you'd like to know more about me, you can find out more on my website, christinaprevitt.com. And be sure to sign up for my newsletter where I talk about everything that I'm reading, learning, listening to, doing, basically everything that I'm obsessed with right now. Follow me on social media. Look up Wake Up Call the Podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. If you'd like to be a guest on Wake Up Call or there's someone you'd like to hear on my podcast, please email me at wakeupcallthepodcast at gmail.com. Thank you and see you next time.